the library is open because reading is fundamental. Your Locked On Flames, your daily podcast on the Calgary Flames. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Locked On Flames. As all joined by the media literacy expert, Nick Zeraris. And today we are going to be talking all about using critical thinking skills uh, when looking at media. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 plus infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E Medical. Com. It's always a fun time, I feel like, really, regardless of current events, to just kind of question the legitimacy of things. Yeah, it's always good to be skeptical. That that you don't want to be um be jaded, you don't want to be um cynical, but you want to be skeptical. Anytime you're getting you're give, being given information, you want to think for a second why this information is available to you because nobody has information for the benefit of the world. Information goes to these places, whether it's news media, entertainment venues like podcasts and stuff like that. It's going to those places for a reason. It is it's going out there to advance an agenda, to get a narrative out there, that kind of thing. And you got to be able to take a step back. And this is a real issue we have now where so much of conversation is driven by social media. And social media is, by design, short form in and out content. You can pop in and out whenever you want. You only see limited perspectives. You only see certain points of view. And it doesn't lend itself to really explaining detailed positions and giving nuanced ideas because social media is about instant gratification. If you open your phone, you want to scroll, scroll, scroll. That's funny. I'll like that. I'll retweet that, whatever. But generally speaking, that's, that's why you have situations like what you had the last over the last day and a half, two days with the blue jackets and the, the podcast that shall not be named because the truth probably lies somewhere in between the middle of these two perspectives. But before we get there and we'll keep talking about it, we'll, we'll go a little more detailed and point out specific vestiges, specific instances that we can kind of use as examples. Really the idea of media literacy is a relatively newer thing because for I don't want to say for a long time, it was just kind of like, it was really hard to print stuff. So it was expensive and only people printing stuff were people, you know, who had a vested interest in getting quality stuff out there. Like, you know, the reason newspapers don't exist anymore is because they don't have advertising anymore. Well, it used to be really hard to print a newspaper. So you had to buy adverts, you had to get people to buy advertising to help pay for your staff to pay for physically printing your newspaper. So now that we exist in a world where anybody can get on the internet and say absolutely anything at any time, we need a, a, a comprehensive idea of literacy of under being able to understand media and there's different avenues within this idea. So like what I'm talking about specifically is n- news media literacy. I'm not talking about like being able to understand a movie or a book. That's an entirely different 
they are both media literacy, but they are different concepts. So we're talking that, news, like literacy, actual yes. things. I mean, movies and books, like that's entertainment. We're yes. talking like that's a different type of literacy. Like, that that that's where like media literacy in that respect is like right wing people liking Rage Against the Machine because they don't understand Rage Against the Machine. That's the example of media literacy in that respect that we'll give. As far as this, I, I can say this. I, I should have, I, this is a bad job out of me. I have, a, I have a pin they gave us when I finished news literacy in college that says I finished news literacy because it, 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 there are a couple different concepts within, that, within the overarching idea of news literacy. So number one is understanding why information is available to us. We, like I said before, what is this person's goal by saying this? Is this entertainment? Is this news? Is this somewhere in between where the lines are kind of blurred, which is kind of what's happened in the hockey media landscape, especially where podcasts fill an outsized role in the conversation because TV hockey doesn't really have a presence on American television during the daytime. Aside from games, you don't really have American talking head hockey shows like you do on TSN or Sportsnet on that kind of thing. So that starts here. When we think about it, okay, why is this out there? Well, is this person trying to make us laugh? Are they trying to inform us? Are they trying to comment on how absurd something is? That's really the, that's the frustration I think a lot of people have is there isn't really an authority, there aren't enough authoritative voices in the hockey space to be like, I can't confirm or deny this, where you get blanket statements from two sides and that's all we get. We don't get a, well, no, actually, or, well, I've heard this, it's, the Blue Jackets are saying this. The person who said this is saying this. And we reach, they butt heads for a few days. And then the story dies because people lose interest and move on to the next topic. Yeah. And I feel like basically what I saw on Twitter yesterday was people not realizing that two negative things can exist in the same story. It's not, there doesn't have to be a villain and a good guy. There yes. can be uh, two good guys or two bad guys it doesn't necessarily have to be so concrete and I feel like with hockey especially like you really do have to look at things critically half the time because there you do have to read between the lines if you just take guys saying oh we just have to shoot the puck we're a team at, at face value, like there's more to that. And yes. I feel like there are situations where players want to say more, but don't feel like, I don't know if it's because they don't feel like they can. It's That's a gentleman's sport. So they're just, you know, That's not getting their hands dirty. So it's interesting. And to think about it from like a pop culture kind of sort of view, when you see a celebrity being photographed by the paparazzi, there's a reason usually why that's happening. And it's, I mean, it's someone, sometimes you call them on yourselves or your agent, your publicist, whoever's calling them for you. Like Nick said at the top of the show, you're seeing certain things because they are meant to be seen. If you, mm -hmm. if you weren't supposed to know about it, you wouldn't know about it. And that's part of why the NHL ecosystem is the way it is because everybody looks out for each other where it is really hard 
for stories to get told because there is a real well if you if you talk about this people aren't going to talk to you anymore you're you're going to be out of the loop you're going to be out of the boys club and that kind of reinforces the culture of silence we've seen i mean that's why i like i probably said like an hour ago elliot friedman did a radio hit and i saw him say something to the effect of well we knew we would know if this was an issue if someone really had an issue with mike babcock doing this we would have heard about this before and just being wanted to fail it's like just being completely ignorant of the subtext that exists within the hockey space that it takes a while sometimes for people to realize, well, wait a minute, that was wrong. That shouldn't have happened to me. That was bad. And sometimes people deal with real traumas from environments they were in where it takes them a while to reconcile with what happened to them, to feel comfortable enough to talk about it. And then it takes other people coming forward to kind of feel like, okay, if someone else can do it, I can do it too. And that creates a chain reaction where you see people feel empowered because they know they're not alone in the situation. Now, th this is on a sliding scale here. This is not the most egregious thing Mike Babcock has been accused of doing, but this is still not comfortable like i can understand if you want to look oh actually you know what? i'll save this for the next segment because this is this is a full-fledged point this isn't a 30 second point <laughs> well you're gonna want to stick around because we're just gonna dive deeper and deeper and peel the onion and get to the layers but before we do that we are going to take a quick break here and talk about one of our new sponsors jace medical Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected, and that's why Jace Medical offers the Jace case. The Jace case provides five antibiotics for emergency use that give you peace of mind in any sort of medical emergency, um, and when it might be a little more difficult to get to the doctors or urgent care. Jace Medical makes sure that you have the medication you need in hand. It's simple, and Jace Medical handles everything from the online evaluation to the licensed pharmacist medication delivery and ongoing consultation and care. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com, promo code Locked On. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into Locked on Flames. Today, we are continuing um, the fun side of, I feel like, media in general. And I know that this is kind of something that I'm passionate about because some people, it's one of those critical thinking skills that needs a little more beefing up, I feel like, in our society. This is one of those things where if you haven't formally studied journalism, communications, anything of that ilk, you're going to be looking at us like, why are you taking this so seriously? Why are you talking about this? Well, when you read as many textbooks as you've, as Jess and I have had to read about this kind of thing, it kind of, it sticks with you at some point and you kind of realize a lot of why things happen the way they do. So before I was about to say, if you want to give Mike Babcock the benefit of the doubt, that's one end of it. And then if you want to give the podcast that shall be not named the benefit of the doubt. You have to look at what we call source evaluation. Who is saying this and why? Whenever you have somebody in a position of authority, like a coach, an organization, a president of hockey operations, whatever, they will always benefit from the blanket denial because the blanket denial ends the conversation right there. You don't concede any ground. You say, well, no, that's not what happened. And the other person, even as much as they're pounding their chest about, well, no, this is what I was told. This is what I was told. The blanket denial does the job in the media landscape we exist in where 
okay, the new story's over now. There's nothing new to develop here because there aren't often follow-up stories. I was reading something about this today and I want to say it was the New Yorker or New York Magazine. I forget what it was. It was something about um, a biography about Elon Musk. And the, the title of the article was how Elon Musk went from superhero to supervillain. And the idea generally of the article was a lot of the time when you are interviewing famous people, powerful people, it is very easy to let them take you for the ride because you need the access. Because whatever they say is news because they are an important, a famous, a wealthy person. And that doesn't lend itself to follow-up stories, to to actually checking in to see if what that person said is true or not. Because you can over-promise and under-deliver consistently, like Elon Musk has for most of his professional life, and still people will take you seriously because of your platform. And in the hockey landscape, which we're going to talk about specifically in the third segment, how the NHL media landscape is really fractured and really insulated, where everybody's kind of off in their own little space within an overarching umbrella we call the hockey media, it makes it really easy for one person to do something like this, to say, well, somebody in the league told me this, and then everybody else who you know has to play catch-up, like we saw, where Friedman had to say, well, I'm following up on this. The Blue Jackets say this. One person in the organization says yes. One person in the organization says blanket, no denial. And that's why we end up with this where, and then everybody has to take a side, which is the other issue that we lose on this. It becomes another chapter, another piece of what the culture war, where it's you believe in authority or you believe in victims. There's no middle ground where it's, let's see what happens here. You give the benefit of the doubt to the, the subordinate, the person who doesn't have as much authority, because the person in power has the benefit of the protections of authority. That oh, yeah. somebody giving that blanket denial, that's all they have to do. This story will be a non-story by probably Friday, in all honesty, if that. If, if, the only way this keeps going is if the podcast that shall not be named continues to make this a thing. Because in the Blue Jackets' mind, this is over with. And we see this a lot in the NHL. We see this a lot in sports in general. Hell, we see this a lot in culture in general, where the powerful institution, the organization, whatever, all they got to do is the blanket denial until the news story dies down. Mm -hmm. And then everybody moves on because nobody has an attention span anymore. And yes, I'm guilty of that too. I have no attention span either. I try my best to follow up with news stories and see when there are things that get corrected, that kind of thing. But for the most part, it's hard to keep up with everything because there is so much information. There's so much of it. And that's why we're doing a crash course. That's why we're giving a crash course in media literacy here. So source evaluation, very simple. We are looking at people's track records of reporting things. If you see an anonymous account on Twitter with three followers and a hundred following that says, the Calgary Flames are going to trade for Connor McDavid tomorrow, you can go out on a limb and say, okay, this person hasn't tweeted anything. They have not shown a track record of reporting anything. And for all intents and purposes, this is just a random person on the internet. And now we've seen this on occasion where there are people who are in the know, who have burner accounts like that, who aren't right. following anyone. Where like the, the uh, Philadelphia 76ers general manager very famously was a person who was running a burner account, tweeting basketball takes, interacting with other people's tweets, that kind of thing. So when you think about it from that perspective, you have to put, take these things with a grain of salt. So the way I was talking about this in a group chat with like 20 other journalism people, because, you know, nerds, that kind of thing, you don't give either side the benefit of the doubt in a case like this, because neither side, neither side, it doesn't benefit either side to tell the truth. One side is an entertainment podcast. Those are not journalists. They don't pretend to be journalists. Occasionally, 
they they say they are not journalists that we are just trying to advocate for the players that kind of thing when it comes to that you have to take them at their word. When they say they are not journalists, they are not journalists. They don't have standards. And that's the other part of this when we talk about source evaluation and if someone's credible or not. Journalists maintain standards. It's very common for people like Jess and I who are on the tertiary of sports media to hear things from other people. We get, occasionally we get tidbits and we, uh, well, I have no way of verifying this information. I can't go into the NHL central registry like my friend who every now and then can throw me something and tell me, oh, this is gonna happen. Train. Exactly. When they tell when they tell me that, they are telling me that so I can get prepared to go and do content about it. Not mm-hmm. so I can report. There are a lot of people who exist in the hockey ecosystem who they have the same connections. They're they know people who work in the league and around the league and in sports media who will just take what they are told, tweet it, and that's it. And say that's news and because they heard it that's it the issue with that is in journalism when you go to report something you need to have two sources to verify there is a thing called the two source rule at least that is the general standard the general standard for any type of journalism is a two source rule so as they often tell you we're not journalists he may have been told that anecdotally by one person in a text message. Hey, can you believe Babs made us airdrop our photo albums up onto the smartboard in front of the rest of the in front of the rest of the meeting so we could look through what we did this summer? And to Biz, he says, "Oh, that's funny. That's ridiculous. I'm going to tell this on the podcast, not realizing, oh, this is going to be a news story when I talk about this because he's just trying to entertain everyone. He is not right. doing journalism." Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, if Mike Babcock wants to go through my phone, it's quite literally just reaction pictures. So have fun with that, I guess. Uh, I can use them for your season, I'm sure. But I just, I wish people would realize that. Like, there, there's a very, very big difference in journalistic integrity between that and, like, Elliot Friedman. Yes. And, and we're, and we're going to talk about Elliot Friedman and the insiders in a minute when we get to the how the NHL operates concept. Yeah. It's just that's it's part a of spectrum. It. Yes, but it is. You want to be on a, a better side of that spectrum because your reputation, uh, what kind of story. There are some people who just don't care about their reputation, which is also part of this issue. <laughs> that there is a vast majority of people who operate in this ecosystem who don't care. They just want to get as much engagement as they can so they can go and try and get a job by saying, hey, look, I can do all of this. And that's what it comes down to. Or if they're doing something on a click model website where I got this many clicks this month, that kind of thing. That's what it's about for them. It's not about the journalism. It's not about reporting for the greater good. The thing that I like to tell myself I'm doing in between the silly things I post. Yeah, exactly. And it's just, again, there there's a line, there's balance. No one's saying you have to be, um, you know, full reporter mode all the time or just the content creator all the time. Like there, you can do both things. Yeah. You Um, can put different hats on. Yeah. And that's what's, that's what's so fun about, you know, this, this kind of stuff, because we don't have to, I mean, there's like rules that we have to. Yeah, no, we operate with standards here. We operate with standards. Like two summers ago, when they were about to sign Kadri, and I texted you, hey, the Flames are about to sign Kadri. You should get ready to do content. We operate under, you know, general ethical rules here where somebody told me this in confidence and I can't independently verify it myself. 
if I get told something and I can verify it, then I will report it. Right. And it, it's really, again, that simple. Yeah. But social media has just taken... Fried media. It, fried media in general. It's so bad. But coming up next, we are going to talk about the wonderful, fantastic, thriving ecosystem, media ecosystem here in the NHL. And thank you everyone for hanging out with us today as we talk about some fun things ahead of the NHL season. And this is our last week of off-season content scheduling. So we're back to five days a week next week. Yep. We hope you are ready. What do you think of like the most legitimate sources or reputable sources in the NHL? Who do you think of? Um, it, By default, it's Elliot because it's mm-hmm. Elliot. It's Chris Johnston. Jeff Merrick. That's really the the top of the the media food chain here. And so we'll talk about it in this respect, because I titled this section how the NHL operates, because it's all a big pond. Okay, there's all these fish in the pond and all the way at the bottom are the people who are just on Twitter, who don't like anything, who don't retweet anything. They just scroll. They follow a bunch of people. And that's the vast majority of people who use Twitter is the people who are just scrolling. They are not posting it's only like 5% of the people on Twitter post like 70% of the content, something like something extreme to that respect. The vast majority at the bottom of that pool, the smallest people in that pond are just the fish that are swimming along all the way at the top of that food chain are the newsmakers are the Friedman's Merrick's Chris Johnston's the people who get genuine news because they are plugged in because they have the right connections or they get the email from the NHL and (laughs) Because sometimes it, that's why when you see when you see somebody tweet like, oh, can confirm after the team graphic has already been posted, it's because they check their email. Oh, the trade finally went through. That yeah, everyone kind of thing. got the press release at the same time. Exactly. That's exactly. why you will see 13 of the same tweets exactly. in, a, in a row. And then the team graphic. Exactly. You have those are the people all the way at the top. Mm-hmm. In the dead middle are the content people, the people who are doing the podcasts who are doing the blogs, who are posting the memes, who are doing YouTube, TikTok, Vine, RIP for Vine. I forgot Vine doesn't exist anymore in my brain. I was like short form video, short form video. But yeah, all of those people, those are the people in the dead middle who they need the newsmakers to give them content so they can make their own content because the vast majority of content people are giving you their opinion about something that is going on. And then in between those two, you have the people who are doing content who have a big platform. You think people like Steve Dangle. You think about people like the podcast that shall not be named. You think about the John Scott, the podcast John Scott does, the one that Andy Strickland does, where those people have journalistic connections. They are, they have ties to the league, but they're still doing entertainment. They're getting guys on their podcasts and their videos to tell stories, to tell jokes, to make people like, oh, it's cool, the NHL. I would like to be in the NHL. It'd be cool if I was in the NHL. That's the vast majority of those types. And then in between all of that, you have the people who are just post, 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 the aggregators, the people who are just, I don't know. That's always been a question I have is why the people who do the aggregate stuff do it, because that is just a brutal grind. It's a brutal grind for not a lot of reward, because like at best, even if you are getting ad revenue from, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, it's not a, enough to justify being at Photoshop nine hours a day. 
Like, <laughs> genuinely, the people who are doing update accounts up for the NHL are posting, you know, 10, 15 times a day making graphics every yeah. time, every single time there's a bit of news. Who's that paying them? Exactly. You, you cannot be doing that independently and just surviving on ad revenue because it's not tenable. It, it's not, believe me, if it was, I would be doing it. Right. Like, this is. It's a prime example. Like we don't make, or not us, but content creators typically don't make their income, like their full livable income, off of like one content thing. No, 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 no. they're doing. The only the top one percent of content yeah. creators are doing that because they have the YouTube partnership, or they're on Twitch, or where they have something on top of the ad revenue to mitigate what how much it takes to do that full-time because it is a real commitment to do that type of thing full-time where you're contentifying your life. Like there's that, there. what's it called? There's that, there's a line in the self-titled song from the latest 1975 album, mining all the bits of you you think you can sell. That is effectively what everybody who does content is doing. The people who are doing the day in the life vlogs, those are people contentifying their life because they need to fill the void of content. And we've gotten a little lost in the weeds here in this conversation because this is such a grand topic. Like, you could teach an entire, like, 16-week college course on this. I, I took a 16-week co yeah. course on media literacy. So circling back around, getting back on the tracks for the last five minutes here, you got to remember how the NHL operates. You have, you've got the teams and you've got the news media. These two are supposed to be in conflict with each other. These are supposed to be entities that don't have – always have the same interests aligned. So when you have – an NHL team saying, well, no, blanket denial, nothing happened of the sort. This is an entire mischaracterization of what happened. You have to say, well, who does it benefit for the NHL team to lie? The NHL team. Right. Who does it benefit for the podcast to lie about what they're talking about? No one really. Like, at the end of the day, we know they're not, like, journalists. They're not credible. They they have what we call jester's privilege, where we know no matter what they say, we're not taking them seriously because they're a joke. Like, every now and then they do get scoops. They do get tidbits because they have friends in the league. But by reporting that, getting the blanket denial, all that podcast has done is get got more attention. Yeah. That is all – that is the only con – of this entire process for them is they maybe maybe can't get people from the blue jackets to come on their podcast anymore. That's the, that's really the only downside of this entire fiasco. And it's why you see so much of this rage engagement stuff from these types of podcasts where it's, Oh yeah, no, that's ridiculous. Trying to rile people up to get people to have a reaction to it. Yeah. And it further, it, it only furthers the kind of the insulation that we all have where people only engage with the content that they enjoy, that they find informative or entertaining and it insulates everybody. And because people are so insular, it's well, I don't like the podcast, but I know that hockey team is probably lying about this too. You know, people who are operating rationally and saying, well, it's probably somewhere in the middle. And that's right. generally, that's what I said all day yesterday is there's probably some exaggeration going on on one end of it, but this wasn't just entirely made up out of the blue, like the Blue Jackets are saying. Like, no. if he, that's where you have to use your critical thinking skills, where you have to say, who does it benefit for this position to be out there and for these two sides of an argument? To, who does it benefit from one side of the argument versus the other? And that's how you have to look, especially in the sports world, where the journalism isn't exactly 
it's not like the New York Times. It's not like Ronan Farrow sitting down to get the, the bottom of this. It's this person who works for this organization telling somebody who works for a media organization that is very often a television partner of the NHL, which is also a real issue we've talked about on the show a lot, is it's a direct conflict of interest for the NHL to be television partners with ESPN, with TSN, with TNT, because you are supposed to, as a news organization, be objective. If you have a financial relationship with a party, it is hard for you. And frankly, it's a conflict of interest outright. If you want to say, well, we keep those two things separate, we do new journalism. And then when we're doing our, you know, pregame show, intermission report, postgame show, that's entertainment. You can say that, but anybody who trade who's trained in journalism and has, you know, an understanding of the ethics of these types of relationships knows that that's not acceptable. You, you right. cannot objectively cover someone who is paying your bills. Exactly. And that's really the biggest lesson here is, you know, if the checks coming from someone that this person is reporting on, it's not going to be the full truth. And, you know, I thought it was kind of wild that Johnny Gaudreau um, ended up talking about it so quickly and like denying it because he, before I had any context, I thought it might've been him who was the yeah. player because he's been on that podcast. Yes. So. It was just uh, quite the time. Uh, I hope everything goes well in Columbus uh, as well as it can, I guess. Uh, I can't even say that. That organization gets what it deserves for hiring Mike Babcock. To be yeah. Like we talked about when they hired him. They were just so desperate for any credibility to be taken seriously. They went to the lowest common denominator of somebody with a decent hockey resume from seven, eight years ago. And very, very clearly could not get somebody else they wanted. Like, I know they were linked to a few different people during the offseason, but they looked at each other and said, Babcock? Yeah. And nobody was like, maybe we shouldn't do this and blah, blah, blah. At the end of all of this, your main takeaway should be skeptic, not cynic. Use your critical thinking skills and think, who does this benefit when they say this? That That's my biggest thing. Be skeptical of authority always. That's just a good rule of law when you're operating when it comes to the news. Be skeptical of authority. Make your own determinations. And don't let anyone else tell you, well, because this, you should think this. Look at what's going on. Take it in objectively. Who's saying it? What that, that person's track record of saying things is. And you go from there. Right. Like, like I've said. I'm in the dead middle. I think there was some hyperbole, some exaggeration going on to make a story more compelling, interesting, engaging, whatever for a podcast. And I think the Blue Jackets by totally blanket denying the entire characterization of the story are also obfuscating the truth. Right. And that's, you know, it's always going to be somewhere in the middle. It really is. Well, most yeah. of the time, I should say most of the time, but it's, PR people have a job for a reason, um, and they're the ones that uh, you can thank for these wonderfully crafted statements that sometimes shouldn't see the light of day. But I think that about that. Wow, that about does it for today's show. Um, I hope that you've all enjoyed this wonderful free 
uh, crash course on media literacy, you can uh, pay us back by subscribing to Lockdown Flames wherever you're getting your podcasts, as well as YouTube. And uh, definitely give us a follow on Twitter and our respective Twitter accounts at Jess Belmosto and at Nick Zararis. And Nick, do you have any parting words for our listeners? There will be real hockey to talk about soon. The PTOs are starting to be signed. We're getting there. We're almost there.